are tuned in to Strengthen the Soul podcast, a safe place for learning and growing. I am here to help you navigate through life's greatest challenges. I am Katie, your host, a licensed social worker, therapist, intuitive empath, a healer who's healed herself, and I'm here to help you strengthen your soul. We are all beautiful souls in this life. We are healing, we are living, and we are loving. My mission is to bring awareness to all things mental health, provide motivation and information, and discuss mental wellness and spirituality. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Strengthen the Soul podcast. I have the sincere pleasure of interviewing Nicholas Pearson on this episode, and we talk all about crystal healing. And to my surprise, prior to interviewing him, I found out that he was also a Reiki practitioner, and that was incredible because I got to really engage in a very educated conversation around the history of Reiki. And I think that when you're diving deep into healing, the possibilities of learning are endless. You know, you're learning about yourself during healing. You're learning about the modalities and the history of modalities. You're learning about life. There are so many ways to learn. And this podcast with Nicholas really really was life-changing for me because I learned so much about the healing modality that completely changed my life. Nicholas is an author to many, many books, those of which can really help you on your healing journey, so I definitely recommend checking them out. He is such a wealth of knowledge, and when I was preparing for our podcast interview, I watched a few videos of him and a few interviews and I learned so much about him. You know, I was watching him speak upon crystal healing and even just the foundations of where crystals come from, the history of crystal healing. And I just learned so much about all of that in general. But the one thing that I really learn and what stuck out for me is that he is so, so knowledgeable about so many different things when it comes to crystals and the healing energy that it provides us. And he has been studying this work since he was a child. And so now getting into our interview, you can listen to where this journey all started for him and how it propelled him into this powerful career and just building upon this knowledge every single year of his life to be this amazing author that he is guiding this world on their healing journey. Yeah, I was that kid who picked up rocks everywhere I went. It could be an exotic place like the mountains on a family vacation or my favorite beach in my childhood or some not so exotic places like parking lots and gravel driveways. Um, There was just something about the allure of the mineral kingdom that always spoke to me. And I suppose my grandfather must have been like really vigilant and and noticed this trend. And he gave me my first piece of quartz, um, which is packed away in a box right now um, in a safe place. But yeah. that 
that sort of transformed the everyday world of rock and stone into something more luminous, something, um, I don't know, there's something so reassuring about the angles and faces that we see with minerals. Um, so I just, I was so enchanted. And then any chance I had to, you know, fill up a little pouch full of tumbled stones or buy an inexpensive rock or mineral at a local shop was just something that filled my heart and stuck with me. Mm -hmm. um, from, a, from a real early age, uh, I, I didn't have a, a strong kind of spiritual or religious upbringing. Yeah. Um, my, my dad and I would visit the library on weekends. It was our own kind of cathedral of knowledge. Yes. And every two weeks I'd check out as many books as I could convince my dad to let me check out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one week it might be science, the next week it might be mythology or fairy tales, but uh, over time I started to see these trends, even relatively young, that there were common themes, we might call them archetypes, yeah. uh, among the, the various world's religions and mythologies, I started to notice that the language um, the indigenous people of the world used to describe scientific phenomena was often similar and albeit metaphorical was really no less um, in tune than than modern science it's just a different lexicon for describing things right so early on I, I kind of found this love for the science and the spiritual and, and where they intersected and that's always kind of been what's brought me joy yeah. over time I really dove in with crystal healing um, and reading every bit that I could, having firsthand experiences with the stones, uh, started to teach classes on, on crystals when I was still in high school and later had the opportunity to study mineral science. Uh, I actually worked in an earth science museum at my uh, university campus that I was, uh, as, as the university will claim, randomly assigned to work <laughs> in. Right. As if we can believe in such a coincidence. Right. And really magical time. Uh, the museum was like my home away from home. And it was the place that brought me the greatest joy and comfort in a fairly uncertain time as, as a young adult going away to college, um, dealing with just life in general, but also an anxiety and panic disorder and all sorts of other yeah. things that kind of bubbled up um, outside of my comfort zone. It was the, the sort of reassurance that Stone offered that was really magical. So um, it's something that has been with me since early childhood and continues with me today. And my, my days in the museum were probably one of my my greatest life experiences because I got I got firsthand mineral science and knowledge and they used to let me check out rocks and minerals as if they were books in a library as long as they wow. came back in the same condition of course right. um, but so long as what I did in those four walls was was science oriented they didn't really mind what I did with rocks and minerals in my own time and my, my boss and I would have conversations about the metaphysics of minerals and um, you know what were the correlations between you know, composition and structure and and the energies and around this time in my life, I started to notice that you could you could read literature on crystals from all over the world, from different time periods, different yeah. authors, and, and people who'd never read one another's works often had very similar experiences mm. with crystals. And I started to notice trends. Oh, a lot of people say this about iron bearing stones yeah. or you know, things that are formed by metamorphic activity tend to work on this level of our psyche according to all these different experts. Um, and many of them weren't even concerned with the science of minerals. So it was really fun to watch those trends unravel. And over the years, those are things I've just kind of continued to flag and, and map out. And yeah. um, they've kind of formed the, the backbone of my understanding of how the mineral kingdom works. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that setting that precedent of healing at a young age is so important because, 
you know, I'm a therapist for children too. I'm like, I wear so many hats, you know, I'm a Reiki practitioner. I'm a therapist. I do coaching with women and workshops. And I just, I love, love healing. You know, I have taken on this name for my business that I'm trying to kind of like cultivate is soul healer, because I feel like if I tap into all these different areas of my life, I can really help people heal on this soul level. Um, And so in my work with doing therapy with children, I actually was working with a kid, he's six years old, and he's like, Katie, and they don't know this spiritual side of me, you know, like I, it's not like I, I try to keep it separate. When when someone comes to me, I feel like then I open myself up, say, well, you know, I actually do work with crystals. I do, you know, communicate with spirit, but I, I try to keep it uh, separate for the clients, you know, um, respect just in case they don't really feel called to that at that time. You know, it's their therapy session, especially even with kids too. Um, but he was like, Katie, you know, my, my grandma gave me all these crystals and I want to show you. And I'm like, oh my God. And like, you know, he's six years old. And I think that it even goes deeper, I think, than even just, oh, I have these crystals. It's like these crystals are providing healing energy and he's open to that. He loves that. They excite him. And I don't even think he understands, <laughs> but I just, I love that. And I, I really see that in your story, how you were set with that healing foundation from such a young age and that interest and that knowledge. And it really speaks to the wealth of knowledge that you're able to provide people today. Yeah, those those early years were so important to you know building that foundation, and I'm I'm grateful that uh, my parents are fine with me being the weird kid my whole life. <laughs> um, you know, there've been lots of different iterations of that. Some of them weirder than others, but right. Um, you know, I I've worn a lot of hats too, and they've they've mm. all kind of brought me to where I am, and. Um, I, I look forward to seeing where it'll take me. Yeah, me too. You know, I think I really love connecting with people like you who are just so intertwined with knowledge and, and your interest in the things that you do. I think that to watch and feel, you know, tap into that energy of passion that you have, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I know that it will motivate people listening to this podcast. For sure. So I, I did read that you were a Reiki practitioner as well. Yeah, I started my Reiki journey in 2006, if I can do my math correctly. Um, I, I've had uh, training in traditional and non-traditional styles of Reiki, both Western and Eastern. Wow. Um, my, my fourth book, Foundations of Reiki Rioho, recently was published in Italian as well. It's my first book to be translated into another language. Um, in 2009, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to go to Japan and visit some of the sacred sites and attempt to do primary research. You know, as a, as wow. a much younger person, I, I didn't realize how, how hard that was going to be as an outsider yeah. to try to do that in, in a three-week time frame. So really, I just, yeah. I built life experience and, and built a, a personal relationship with Japan and Japanese culture and, um, you know, the origins of the system of Reiki. And I've, I've kind of continued that ever since. So um, Reiki has been a huge part of my practice. And although I learned a very westernized style mm-hmm. in initially, I, it has sort of been unwesternized the more I go. And not that I have any issues with any particular system or style, right. but the simplicity inherent in, um, we'll say some of the more his- historically sound practices that came out of Japan or things that I find 
um, feed my soul really well. And so yeah. those are the, the styles and approaches to the system Reiki that I, I engage with the most readily in my everyday life. Um, but I, I look forward to a time when I can teach Reiki in person and, oh, yeah. and do events like that. That's probably right now during the pandemic, the one thing I miss the most. I mean, teaching generally is, mm. is not the same online. I don't, I don't teach yeah. Reiki um, long distance. It's something I reserve for in-person only, but I, I'm really excited to, to dive back into bringing people into the system of Reiki. Um, it's just a, a life-changing experience to watch that light bulb go, go off when someone's had their first Reiju or initiation and to, to see them have that initial experience of, of Reiki flowing. And it's just incredible. I view Reiki as a spiritual practice and a, a system. And so it's not for me about merely getting out of the way and transmitting energy. It is about upholding the conventions of the system and ensuring yeah. that and pass that on to the next generation and maintain as much clarity in my practice, my teaching, um, my writing to ensure that we're trying to get to the heart and soul of the system of Reiki rather than just making Reiki about the energy practice. So um, mm -hmm. although, although there's some individualism there, it's, it's really more important for me to get my ego out of the equation and not worry about the individual and in a very Japanese fashion, focus on the collective. What, what can I do that serves Reiki as a whole, the system, as well as the community. Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, that is something that I'm learning from you right now. You know, it's not something that I have really tapped into. And this is very new to me. You know, I have not even been practicing um, for longer than a year. So it's, you know, really amazing to learn from you with all of this and just gain that different perspective on it. Um, and so after this, I'm definitely going to continue to do research because this is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Reiki was a game changer for me. Um, I have managed my my psychological well-being through a lot of different tools and techniques, yes. um, you know, from the conventional allopathic medicine, seeing mm -hmm. mental health care practitioners, taking medication, doing doing those sorts of things. I, you know, breath work and meditation and flower essences and homeopathics, um, obviously crystals and gemstones, the main reason we're here today. But uh, yeah. Reiki was like this this switch that that went off when suddenly I realized that I didn't require those outside tools to have a sense of agency in my life. And I'm certainly not claiming that Reiki has secured my anxiety I'm far from it, but Reiki's made me comfortable with the anxiety. It has, yeah. it has made me, um, it has empowered me to be capable of just kind of surrendering to the moment and relaxing into the uncertainty of life. Uncertainty yeah. for me is a big kind of trigger for, for those feelings that that you know, flood of hormones that stimulate that flight or fight or freeze response. Yeah. And so if I can, if I can relax into uncertainty, it's, it's a big deal. And, and the fact that all I need is this yes. or, my, or my mind and I can get there, that is magic. That's, that's something that you know, no pill, no rock, no dropper bottle has ever given me. Yes. Um, all those, those things have helped significantly. Right. Um, irregular uh, practice with Reiki has has changed my life has has certainly made it quantitatively and qualitatively much better yeah i definitely agree and when i talk about reiki with people i'm always saying that you really it's indescribable at some point you know it's like something that you really have to experience so as a reiki practitioner and healer and true advocate of crystal healing i wanted to pick Nicholas's brain on incorporating the two systems together. You know, when I am doing my Reiki sessions, I love incorporating crystal healing into my sessions and I use my intuition to 
guide where I put the crystals on everybody's body. And I think that it really sets the tone for the environment in my room and during the session and just gives my clients and myself all the healing energy. So when I first asked Nicholas to be a part of my podcast, I was so, so excited to connect with him and learn more about crystal healing. And this conversation and podcast is turning out to be so wonderfully much more. And here Nicholas is describing the two separate systems of crystal healing and energy healing. And I love to hear his perspective on the two and how Sometimes that he does incorporate crystals, but he doesn't necessarily incorporate it um, because he really is honoring the whole system of Reiki and his healing sessions on himself and others. I may have a rock in my pocket during a session. I might gift someone a, a, a sort of charged up crystal filled with Reiki vibes. Um, at the end of a session, but um, you know, traditionally the system of Reiki is is complete unto itself. So it doesn't really need those extra add-ons, you know, uh, mm. things like crystals weren't really added in a, not in a Broadway until maybe the, the 90s. Um, chakras weren't added to the system of Reiki until the mid 1980s. Wow. Uh, there, there's so many things that we associate as just kind of the standard milieu of Reiki today that, mm. that are much, much later additions. You know, we're, we're approaching 100 years. Next year will be the centennial celebration of the birth of the system of Usui Reiki Ryoho. Um, and there are a lot of things that, uh, at least on the surface level, we might consider to be Reiki that have, that have only been with the system a couple decades. Right. Uh, it's, it's a very easy model to use those seven colors and ascending right. orange, red up through violet mm -hmm. um, and associate them with those seven energy windows or doorways or organs or portals or whatever we're going to language we're going to use to describe the chakra system. Right. And um, a lot of people will take crystals of corresponding color and place them there and end of story that's that's working with crystals for the chakra system and that model works um, it is not the only model that works mm -hmm. and i think there are a couple little little kernels here that that are going to open the door real wide you know first right. and foremost let's talk about the origins of the chakra system the the chakra system as we know it in the west mostly dates to 19th century occultists mm -hmm. who had some bad translations of sanskrit works that were uh, less than five six hundred years old um, and they they had to kind of fill in the gaps with their own knowledge and make some leaps uh, in logic to create a system that was viable and workable to that sort of 19th century western occultist mindset mm -hmm. um, that does not mean that it's an accurate or um, uh, historically sound representation of traditional tantric yoga practices, um, but it also doesn't mean that the system doesn't work. It right. absolutely does. It is, it is a one system of many. Um, there is no one single chakra system that emerged in tantric traditions. These go back to like maybe um, in their earliest forms, I, I think they're about 14, 1500 years old. Uh, the One of the most common early forms was a five chakra model wow. um, and the thing about the the chakra systems plural in in um, tantric lineages in india mm -hmm. is that they are descriptive or they're prescriptive not descriptive they're not describing specific phenomena within the body but they're prescribing places um windows or gateways that 
consciousness passes through, that emotional states pass through, where right. we might in some traditions install a particular element or install a particular deity, or use mm -hmm. the power of mantra or yantra of uh, geometry to access a specific energy and kind of bring it into the body, the mind and the spirit through that, that swirling gateway, that chakra. Yeah. So um, that version of the chakra system is, is largely only talked about in um, like academic circles. Right, right. We have, this, we have this system that exists today in the West as a uh, descriptive model of, of what people perceive as happening in the energy field. And mm -hmm. the existence of both of these things can be true at the same time. Right. Um, I have a great teacher, Christopher Penzak, who likens these different models of the chakra system as like different tunings on a string instrument. Mm -hmm. you, you can tune a string to E or you can tune it to F or to D. Um, mm -hmm. That doesn't invalidate the other tunings that are out there, but these are maps. Right. They are not the territory itself. And it's important that um, we understand a map is a model. It is a metaphor. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, point to Antarctica on the map and understand where it is in relationship to, a, to where I am right now. But right. by pointing to Antarctica on the map doesn't mean that I am there. Right, yeah. An objective reality and there's a subjective metaphor. There are subjective realities and objective metaphors. Um, so I think the thing to remember about the chakra system as most of us have learned it today is that it is a map and we can't confuse the map for the territory. And you're always going to have experiences that don't fit neatly into one singular model. Um, and so that's, that's the, like, the, the, the big stage. Yeah. Um, when it comes to like crystal and color, I think an important thing also to remember is that um, color has a very, very, very tiny role in the energy of a mineral. Mm -hmm. um, one of my teachers, uh, Samaya K. Astor, formerly she was known as uh, Naisha Azian, she's the co-author of the Book of Stones and the creator of the Crystal Ally Cards. Um, she claims that um, if we look at the physics of crystal energy, color accounts for about 1 14th. That's roughly 7% of what a crystal does. Wow. So that means roughly 93% of what a crystal does is defined by things other than its color. Mm -hmm. So if we're trying to match a crystal and a chakra up together by color alone, we have 7% of the mechanism of the crystal at play. And we might be ignoring as much as 93% of it. Now, it turns out some of those crystals, the other 93% of that stuff is in line with that chakra anyway. So it right. can be. Um, and also when it comes to color, the, the version, the sequence of colors we use today dates to the ancient and mystical year of 1977. Wow. So it's not this ancient system where the root chakra is red um, and the sacral chakra is orange. This is, this is a modern association, but mm -hmm. it is no less valid just because it's modern. But I think it's helpful to know the context. Oh, so absolutely. Yeah. The, the moral of all of this is that um, if we know these things, then we are not limited by the color of a stone and the placement of a corresponding energy center. Yes. We are not limited to what we read on memes or in books or in right. graphics. It means that we can start to think critically about how to use crystals for the health of the energy system. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a big believer in the fact that the Western chakra model absolutely works, mm -hmm. that the um, associated beliefs and mindsets and emotional patterns uh, definitely are a workable roadmap to yeah. wholeness. And one way that we can use crystals to support that is to start thinking not about what what color works on which chakra but which stone represents the particular roadblock i'm dealing with so you know people will come to me my day job is managing a metaphysical store here in central florida people will come to me and say okay i need a stone for my throat chakra mm -hmm. okay great what are we working on on our throat chakra right well it's blocked okay what is your blockage well i want to communicate better okay what's holding you back from communicating is it right. fear 
Is it lack of clarity? Is it muddled thoughts? Is it confidence? And as we ask questions, we start to see that people think it's a throat chakra issue when it might be a solar plexus issue, or it might be a heart issue, or it might be a third eye issue. So um, it's really about thinking what, what is, rather than kind of being reductive, what is the energy center I want to, to fix? Crystals aren't a magic bullet. They catalyze the inner work for us to achieve wholeness. Yes. What, what is the thing I'm really working on here? When we start to ask those kinds of questions, then we start to get much better results. And then we have um, much more than just prescriptive crystal healing. Right. X crystal fixes Y condition in our life. It's almost never that simple because X condition is, you know, the symptom of it is a little bit of the iceberg emerging from the surface of the water. There's that big chunk of ice below it. We have to start looking at what's underneath. What is really going on? Why are you having trouble with communication? Is it lack of confidence? Well, what gets you that lack of confidence? Right. Is it fear of being wrong? Is it baggage we carry from childhood? Is it maybe even past life stuff? Right. So um, I love to get people to start thinking about those things. Mm -hmm. And then when we think about those things, when you find the crystal that matches up with that, color doesn't matter. Um, exact placement doesn't matter, um, although that can be a really helpful tool because I view the, the chakras as like therapeutic windows or like doorways that crystal energy can be integrated more readily. But yeah. I mean, you can put a throat chakra stone in your right pocket on your hip and it, it still works on the throat chakra. It still works right. on the whole being. So right. um, there, there are so many deeper ways we can work with this. And I like to get people out of that color crystal chakra yeah. correspondence model just so they can start thinking why. If we can ask ourselves why, and if we can ask ourselves why enough times about the same topic, we can usually reach the, the seed of things, you know, peeling the onion layer by layer. Yes. When we can get that, that little heart of the onion, like what, what is the heart of this issue? Mm -hmm. And that's where it's important to start thinking why and, and, and stop worrying about, is, is this the convention that I see? Mm -hmm. Does this match the meme? You know? Right. <clears throat> Yeah, I think that, you know, this conversation is so incredibly important because I think people don't know those things. You know, I think that there are, there is such a dynamic um, past, present, future with crystals. You know, there's so much history that we don't know about crystals. There's so much going on in our current reality that are like, you know, what's going what are what are, what like you said the memes like there's so much information now on social media things like that like I know for me like when I do my Reiki sessions I put crystals you know um on their body and like even just that in itself it's like the the pretty picture you know like people love that pretty picture but I think that it's so much deeper for the work that you're doing and I love that you the way that you explained all of that you know it is so true like what is the why and you brought up a really great point, like the 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 sort of length of this tradition, how how long this has yes. been happening. If we think about how long human beings have been connecting to the mineral kingdom, yeah, I mean, it's literally the beginning of time, because rock and stone were our first tools, our first implements, some of our first adornments, some of the earliest pigments, some of the earliest shelter. So uh, you cannot separate human history from the mineral kingdom. Right. And some of the earliest archaeological evidence that we have that human beings, hominids, went out of their way for quartz in particular is a, a find that's often called the, the Peking Man. Um, and this is pre-Homo sapiens. Mm -hmm. And the, the experts disagree on the timeline, although I recently read that they're, they're, they're pushing it to be even earlier. But we're, we're talking upwards of like 450 million years ago 
um, wow. 450,000 years ago, I'm so sorry, too many zeros, 450,000 <laughs> years ago, um, we've got humankind going out of their way to, to collect crystals. And the, mm. the crystals that were found buried with this individual didn't necessarily come from the same space where they were buried. Like these are things that have been trafficked from far away. So wow. almost half a million years, we've been connecting to the mineral kingdom and the modern Western system of crystal color chakra correspondences right. like 45 years old. So um, that doesn't make it any less important, but for the better part of half a million years, we've done other things. Right. So right. Those other things also work. So just because this one system is a mm -hmm. system doesn't mean we can't break the model and, and do and explore all the other realms that um, humankind has done. And, and when we start to think that way, you start to like think about crystals in new light. Like um, you, I have some pretty uh, off the wall associations with certain stones and certain talkers mm -hmm. that people will look at me funny until we have the conversation about why. And um, it's, it's always really eye-opening. I, I really yeah. love having those kinds of conversations. Like, why would you put blue lace agate on the solar plexus? Or what do you mean? Rutilated quartz is for the throat chakra. Right. Um, and those are, those are great things that we can start to think about. I love that. You know, this is blowing my mind and like, it makes me just want to learn so much more because, you know, something that I've been saying this week and, you know, with spirit and messages and energy, I feel like there's no coincidences. And something that I've been re really working with within myself is that I need to continue my education and my healing because that's, that's the level of healing I'm able to give somebody else, right? Like if I don't know a lot about crystals, like how am I going to heal other people with crystals, you know, at the capacity that I really would want to, or they, uh, or they deserve. So, you know, or the healing that I'm doing within me is at the capacity where I can help other people heal in their life. And so I want to be, and I want to take responsibility and acknowledge that I do want to be an amazing healer and I want to continue to evolve. And so part of evolution is learning. And so, you know, after this conversation, I'm definitely going to continue to pick your brain. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. I've got some resources I'm happy to share um, for anyone who's really interested in like the the development of our modern Western chakra system. There's yes. a brilliant book called uh, Rainbow Body by Kurt Leland, and I'll, I'll send you details yeah. online. Um, now that's super fun. There are a couple of Sanskrit scholars that are, you know, academics who are who are starting to, uh, we'll say, interface more with the woo woo community um, mm -hmm. to make this kind of stuff common knowledge. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the 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 main thing about having these kinds of conversations, especially in today's world, is you know. Uh, we have so many discussions about things like cultural appropriation and cultural exchange and interface, and we want to support the right kinds of voices. And I think it's, um, there's, there's a certain amount of unfortunate irony in hearing people say these things and then go to their yoga class and talk about the chakras from the Western lens. And, um, you know, even the dominant narrative in places like India today, the Western chakra system is the dominant model there. The, the dominant form of Reiki in Japan is Western style Reiki. And that's not, that's not good or bad. That's, right. that's just the way things are. Right. Um, but if we have conversations about context, history, origins, mm -hmm. you know, history belongs to all of us, irrespective yes. of the individual lineage or form of practice we've got, whether it's Reiki or yoga or chakras or crystals, we, we're, we're all on this rock together. Yes. And the better we understand where things have come from, the better we're able to apply them to our own lives now, but also we can predict what the trajectory is going to look like. That's the thing I love about Reiki. If we learn where it's come from, we can understand where it's going to take us. Yes. And 
if we know that accurately, and if we can um, focus on an evidence an evidence based history, if we can yeah. focus on, on facts and the context for those facts, because even facts are kind of mutable depending on the right. voice who's telling them, um, to a certain degree, um, that that allows us to understand where the human bias comes in, where the human psyche comes in. And if we can start to take those parts out of the equation little by little, there's more and more space for the work to take place. The, the biggest thing we can do in the system of Reiki is to be, not do. Yes. Uh, you know, as a Reiki practitioner, I show up for my practice, but I don't claim to be a, a mover of Reiki energy. I, I mm -hmm. might be a vessel, um, but really yeah. your body as the client on the table is the one who's doing all of the work. Right. I'm just out of the way. That's that's it. Gosh. And if I'm not getting out of the way, then I have to focus. And, and mm -hmm. the system gives us tools for doing that. It gives us symbols and mantras. It gives us um, specific meditations and visualizations. It gives us all sorts of other methods for doing that. And um, at the end of the day, sometimes they fail. And so we show up and we do the work anyway, and we practice. With crystals, it's the same thing. We can't just like lie back and play some uh, rhodonite on the heart chakra and go, okay, my emotions are fixed. No. <laughs> right, exactly. I think people have yeah. a misconception of that a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And right now with TikTok, there's this huge Moldavite craze going on. Oh my gosh, I know. I was actually going to ask you how you feel about that. <laughs> I have, I have some strong emotions. <laughs> yes, I would love to hear that. <laughs> sure, um, let's, let's go on this little tangent. So yeah. um, I, I want to start by saying, if someone is authentically drawn to any particular stone and it is within your means to have access to it, by all means do so. Yeah. I am no gatekeeper. I am not um, you know, the holy arbiter here who decides who is worthy of what stone. It is absolutely not a case like that. Right. Um, but I think when it comes to um, the world in which we live, which we have to remember is, is kind of um, strongly rooted in things like colonialism, capitalism, patriarchy. Like we have these, these systems in place um, and these systems tend to favor bigger, better, faster, shinier, prettier, more expensive, yeah. more valuable, more intense. And now we want it now. So, um, you know, in, with that kind of programming in everybody's psyche, things like Moldavite become really attractive. Mm -hmm. And it sounds as if it is the panacea for all the world's ills right now. Um, you know, we've all been stuck. So if this can, can, you know, supercharge our trajectory, move us forward, drag us kicking and screaming into spiritual evolution, then why wouldn't we want that? Because don't right. we want to be enlightened, damn it? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, yep. that's not how this works. Crystals do not do the work. They are not a substitute for the work. They can catalyze the work. And a catalyst is defined as, as something that lowers the amount of energy or effort required to achieve a particular outcome. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot like having a hammer. A hammer sure makes it a heck of a lot easier to put nails in the wall. Mm -hmm. um, but owning a hammer does not put nails into the wall. You still have to pick it up. You still have to use your yes, own muscle. That motion. And it's going. Mm -hmm. um, owning a set of dumbbells does not give you a gym body. Right. Using the set of dumbbells does. Mm -hmm. So um, we've got a lot of people who own crystals with the expectation mm -hmm. that they're going to fix their life. Right. And to a certain extent, I believe that there's a, a, a physics of how and why crystals work. Mm -hmm. um, and I go into great depth into that whole model in Crystal Basics, chapter yeah. one and two. Um, so you, you can really explore how this can even work passively. But mm -hmm. the real magic is when we do this through conscious and conscientious partnership, when we mm -hmm. have a sort of relational experience of crystal healing mm -hmm. rather than a, an, a sort of an objectional. Uh, like yeah. uh, if this object is nothing more than an object and I'm going to let this tool fix my life, then I've removed myself from having 
to do the work. And when it, when the work fails, it's not my fault. It's the crystal's fault. Right. But if I look at it as a relational thing, you know, if, if we're in relationship with a human being and the relationship breaks down as, as one of the members of that relationship, we know that at least some of that fault has to come on us. Yes. There's an exception to every rule. Right. Just, of course. But right. Generally speaking. And so yeah. if we start to look at crystals through that relational lens, it's the same thing. So with Moldavi right now, we've got a lot of people who are hoping for that, that magic pill that's going to fix their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's doing a whole lot of um, interesting things to the market. Moldavite prices yes. are going up. Oh, Stockists yes. can't keep it. Um, uh, you know, the store that I work in, we cannot buy it for the same price as we could three months ago, right. three months ago. Um, our, our retail prices therefore are going to go up and that's going to make mm-hmm. it harder and harder for people to get. I, I'm also hearing from people in the fields that there was virtually no Moldavite mining done at all in 2020. And wow. I'm sure part of that is the pandemic. Yeah. Part of that is also the ever dwindling supply because there's a finite amount of it. There's no more right. of it being generated. It was a one meteoric event that created it. Mm. So Moldavite is wonderful. Yeah. I, I definitely love it. I wear it on an almost daily basis. I, I've got a tiny little piece and a ring that I, I keep often. And I've got a bunch of other jewelry, but that, yeah. that ring is just my most comfortable piece. And I've got some big honking chunks that are in my personal toolbox. But mm. do you know what I say to people who are like, so what's the deal with Moldavite? Is it really as good as they say it is? Like, it can be, but you know what else is really as good as they say it is? Black tourmaline, yeah. clear quartz, rose quartz, sodalite. Have you heard the good news about uh, rhodonite? Like yeah. uh, every crystal does wonderful things when we partner with it intentionally, mm. but does Moldavite do the things that your life specifically calls for? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. And if we are only concerned with the hype, then we're missing the opportunity to think critically about our lives yes. and maybe to partner with a stone that is even more appropriate. So I don't want to be a gatekeeper and say that really you, you have to be of a certain level to have Moldavite. Mm-hmm. But I think there are a lot of people trying to sprint before they've learned to crawl. Yeah. There are people coming to me who know nothing about crystals, who've exactly. never bought crystals before and they want Moldavite. And yes. that works for some, it really does. But Moldavite can make us more sensitive. Moldavite can make us feel more vulnerable and more open. Moldavite can be uncomfortable for people who are already sensitive and vulnerable and don't know how to manage their energy. So I think some important practices to consider if you want to work with Moldavite, learn how to ground and center, learn which stones can support those specific practices. Um, Moldavite tends to work on the upper chakras, which are the more spiritualizing ones, which means you have to focus on the lower ones to be more rooted and anchored in this plane. You know, it's not about getting out of 3D. It's about integrating the higher dimensions into 3D. You're in a material body on purpose. Yeah, um, exactly. I feel like it. Right. <laughs> Some part of you consciously chose to be here, whether you like it or not. So if you need a few moments with your higher self and have a few choice words to say about why did you choose this, go for it. Um, but I ask for that all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, Multivite is not the answer for getting out of here. Right. So what Multivite does is it makes the, the, the veil between here and there a little thinner. Mm-hmm. Our job is to keep that doorway open while keeping our feet planted. So ground, center, learn how to practice good psychic or spiritual hygiene, because if you're Mm -hmm. gonna be more open to stuff, you're gonna attract more stuff. You're gonna be more sensitive to the stuff that's already there. Mm -hmm. So if you're not good with your psychic hygiene, your shielding techniques or grounding and centering techniques, Mm -hmm. maybe like getting your first piece of Moldavite now is not a bad idea, so it doesn't run out, but try working with other stones first. Pick your favorite grounding stones, pick your favorite protection stones, mix it up, learn about Mm -hmm. several. Like if, if you are going to associate the green color of Moldavite with the heart chakra, instead of making that your first ever heart chakra stone, go pick another stone to work with to prepare your heart center for it. 
Emerald is a great example of one. And Emerald in, in lower qualities is super cheap. Yeah. Um, you, could, you could work with something like aquamarine for the heart to sort of clear and purify and, and prepare it for integrating those higher energies in. Yeah. So there, there are so many things we can do. Um, Moldavite is wonderful. And if you really feel compelled to go for it, then please mm -hmm. do. Um, right. if, if you're a collector and you want to have it because you're worried about the scarcity of it, then by all means, honor that drive. Right. But um, we cannot approach this as if it is going to fix everything in our lives because um, I've known many people um, long before this current stage in the Moldavite craze, right. felt the same way, got as much Moldavite as they could afford, which is sometimes a piece this big and sometimes other people in bigger budgets. Mm. And um, life didn't do what they thought it would and they weren't so happy about it. So right. build a stronger foundation. You know, you have to pour the cement foundation before you build the building on top. Exactly. So have you, have you poured a foundation? Have you let it cure? Is it set mm -hmm. or is it gonna crack the moment you right. start building on it? Start tending to that stuff first. Um, those, those are just all important considerations and um, things that I wish I had time for every interaction to, to make space for. So I could really mm -hmm. coach people on that. But you know, the reality of retail these days is you, you don't get that opportunity with social distancing and um, you know, align out the door. I, I, yeah. I love our customer base. And I'm so grateful for the community mm -hmm. that's there to support us on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Um, but the, the reality of the times is that um, we, we don't, we don't have the chance to like train everybody who walks in the door. Right. Um, that's, that's what these opportunities are for. And exactly. I'm hoping that people will start to realize that maybe a, a 30 second long video on TikTok doesn't give them all the answers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think we're living in such a, a time right now where instant gratification is like just such a way of living. And we have to challenge ourselves to do more, want more, feel more, you know, and that instant gratification is just not a healthy way of living. And like you said, I think that that is why you are so pivotal for the collective you know, in the way that you speak, the knowledge that you know, the books that you write, the interviews that you engage in, you know, intentionally you chose to do this today, which number one, I'm completely honored because like I said, you have so much to offer and I am just so happy to learn from you. Um, you know, but you choosing to do that is, is amazing. And that's what your role here is. Well, thank you. You know, it's, it's a real pleasure to have these moments. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really passionate about what I do. Yeah. Um, and I love connecting with people who are equally as passionate, whether they are just now buying their first crystal or whether they've got, you know, a collection that puts mine to shame. Like we're uh, at the end of the day, we are on this journey together. Everyone's yeah. journey is individual, but, but we're all walking in the same direction. Mm -hmm. So if, if the tools that I've learned can help someone else, reach the next signpost a little bit more easily, then I'm, I'm grateful that I can put that to use. So um, thanks for you know, sharing your platform. Yeah. Possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just so important to connect. I, I love connecting with people. Um, I think that learning, like I said, is my biggest mission right now. I want to be a better person. I want to be a better soul. I want to be a more evolved soul. I want to, you know, be a better healer. The people that are coming to me are coming to me for a reason, you know, um, consciously and, you know, in a higher consciousness. And I want to be show up and level up and be the best version of myself, you know? So this conversation was completely life-changing for me. Um, like I said, I'm going to continue to pick your brain on many, many things. Um, but I want to close out this podcast with, 
talking to you about your favorite crystals, you know, even I know that's probably ever changing. Um, but what are some of your favorite ones right now and your favorite ones to work with and why? Oh, you know, it's kind of like asking a parent about their favorite children. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, the reality is they probably have one. They just don't feel comfortable saying it out loud. Right. right? <laughs> right. Um, so I, I have some like textbook classic answers that I almost always give to this. Uh, Rude Knight being one of them. It's a gem I work with a lot in a lot of different forms. Um, it's so grounding and stabilizing to the emotional body in particular. Yeah. It works on our um, psychological well-being. I liken its effects to dropping an anchor. So that way when we have that intense current of emotional activity, whether that is anxiety or grief, or anger, or bitterness, whatever it might be. Um, we don't get swept up in that current. We can show up for it, we can experience it, but we don't get swept out to sea and lost in the sea of emotions. Right. Um, so it's very stabilizing in that way. Um, another gem that I, I work with quite a lot, um, and I don't have an example near me, uh, is aquamarine. Mm. Um, aquamarine is this stone that brings clarity and illumination to every level. On, on one hand, it's about um, releasing, cleansing, clearing, purging. And on the other, it's about accepting the brilliance of your soul, the sort of luminous nature of who you really are, mm -hmm. the most fundamental nature of your existence beyond this physical body, beyond this material confines that your soul is experiencing right now. There's a part of you that is nothing but light. And if yeah. we can come from that space, then um, your chances are you're, you're going to end up feeling more confident, more courageous. Of course, you're going to communicate better, um, but that's just the tiniest part of the puzzle. Um, Emerald, which is a, a sister to Aquamarine, has been a really important ally over the last 12 months in particular. Oh. Emerald has become the stone of radical love for me. It is um, in, in certain traditions of gemstone therapy, it is associated with being like the bearer of the green ray, the sort of archetypal frequency that is green, not just yeah. in, you know, I, I, the idea of color and light, but what does green represent to the cosmos mm -hmm. um, beyond what we can perceive of as just the color. And mm -hmm. as the anchor for that ray, um, you know, it represents the way in which all things that are material are by their very nature, um, an expression of divine and unconditional love. And so mm -hmm. the only thing that merits your body, yourself, your image being worthy of love is the fact that it's here. So when you can love yourself that radically, in spite of what we're programmed to by the media and mm -hmm. everything else, when our life is not as glamorous as we want it to be on, on, on Instagram, when you know our, our, our politics don't uh, excite our friends on Facebook, whatever mm -hmm. it's going to be, the things that make you feel like you're not good enough, that you're not worthy of love, um, Emerald tells you that you're worthy of love in spite of that. You're worthy in love because of that. And the moment you start claiming that, it is an act of rebellion and that's how you heal your heart yeah. um it's it's not this mere level of forgiveness and all this other stuff that we do which is all great i mean yeah, I, I healing for the heart i, I want yeah. you to engage in those sorts of things but yeah. there is a deeper more alchemical current mm -hmm. to love and when we come from that space it is rebellious and it is important and it is vital and that is the kind of revolution that is required to heal the soul of the world by yeah. healing the soul of us so yeah. um, those are the some of the stones I'm vibing with now. I mean, I, I could go on for hours, but <laughs> right. that's, that's a nice little taster. I love that. Yeah, I think that is so amazing. I think that, you know, people get caught up in the appeal of crystals. And, you know, I, I see so many people like... Um, 
you know, kind of giving in to certain things, like you said, the TikTok and all of that stuff. And I think that you shed so much light on that there are so many healing properties to crystals and you don't have to pick the prettiest one or the one that has is the most popular. You have to do the one or pick the one that is the right for you and, and going to magnetize the healing that you personally need. And then in turn, you healing is, is healing the world. Yeah. And the fact that we have such a boom via TikTok and everything else right now means that there's so many more people coming to these practices. There's so many new pairs of eyes that are seeing the world in new light. And I am grateful for that. You know, the the misinformation, the hype, that's, that's, that's one thing. But the fact that we've got so many people who have an opportunity to change their own lives for the better. Exactly. I mean, that's humbling. So uh, I I do want it known that I'm, I'm grateful that we have a new generation who's Mm -hmm. really invested in their sort of body, mind, spirit, wellness, that's invested Mm -hmm. in in trying to transform themselves and therefore transform the world. So um, more power to, to these, these new crops of souls coming up and doing the work. Exactly. Because you know, even if they got they they got started by seeing it right on TikTok or yeah. whatever, eventually they'll be like, you know what? I want to start asking questions. You know, okay, I got this because it looked cool, but actually now that I'm working with it, why am I working with it? And what does this do? Let me buy a book. You know, and so I think for the longest time I never even had a crystal book, and then when I first got one, I was I started reading, and I was like, wow this is way deeper than I even knew. And so, like you said, I think that it is really humbling to see like more people and that's their journey and learning, you know, and their own path. And, and eventually, um, you know, it'll all come together. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's amazing. This conversation has been so wonderful, Nicholas. I'm so grateful. I can't say that enough. I've probably told you a million times. (laughs) Um, So where can people find you? I know that you're on Instagram. um, You have some books out there. Uh, what are the titles of your books and and how can people connect with you? Thank you. So um, you can find me in most places as The Luminous Pearl. So I've got a website which is in sore need of an update. It's www.theluminouspearl.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as The Luminous Pearl. Um, I've got six books on shelves and a seventh one coming next year. So my most recent oh. release was Critical Basics. Um, uh, the the Energetic Healing and Spiritual Power of 200 Gemstones. Uh, My other books include The Seven Archetypal Stones, Crystals for Karmic Healing, Crystal Healing for the Heart, uh, Stones of the Goddess, and Foundations of Reiki Ryoho. I love that. Thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm eager to connect with your audience and everyone else who's out there. I think that, you know, we're all in this together. And the more we can share our resources and really lift one another up, then the the better off we're going to be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's it's definitely powerful when people connect and and listen. And I know that when I'm listening to a super informative and powerful podcast, I'm like, I'm canceling all my plans. I just want to (laughs) continue listening to this. And I feel like this is definitely going to be one. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you.